0: Welcome to the Recent Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches, featuring inspiring new devotionals and forums given each week on BYU campus. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts.
1: Thank you, President, for, for the opportunity to say a few words this morning. That music was Uh, Impressive. Thank you, Brother Pearson, for that. Uh, And Kate, thanks for the prayer. Uh, I do hope that we all feel the love of the Savior in our lives. Uh, Appreciate that prayer. And President, I'm grateful for your trust, uh, for this opportunity to speak. You do have to pick your friends carefully, or you end up in situations like this that you don't want to. And I'm talking to you, Keith. I am very grateful for all of those who work hard behind the scenes as well, uh, behind the cameras and before this meeting, to make these devotionals possible. Uh, Thanks to each of you who are here today for spending part of your morning here with us. I am not a member of our distinguished faculty, and I have no uh, formal teaching credentials. Rather, I stand before you today as a fellow BYU student. I'm not currently enrolled in any classes, and I haven't taken a test in the testing center for 30 years, but I do attend BYU every day. I've been a full-time student employee for 18 years now, uh, informally but intentionally pursuing my higher education in the workplace. I will not likely receive another degree, uh, but my education here at BYU does continue, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. For 20 years, my father taught secondary education in the McKay School here at BYU, and when I was a student, uh, we would drive back and forth. I lived at home, and we would drive back and forth to campus every day. Uh, During our daily commute, we talked about school and baseball, horses, hunting and fishing, family, girls, and the gospel. We talked about life, and I learned so much from my father. It was a wonderful blessing uh, to spend that time with him each day. During that time, when I would ask him about the hard questions I was dealing with or struggling for uh, advice on on important decisions, I remember him telling me, If you will give the Lord equal time, together you will figure it out. This was wise counsel and has proven to be true in every major question, challenge, or decision I have ever faced in my life. When I was younger, about your age, and on my way out the door for an evening evening, Uh, with my friends, my parents used to say, Tracy, remember who you are. Those words echoed in my ears more than once when I found myself in places I shouldn't have been. Who are we? What is our true identity? In today's polarized world of divisive identity politics, we do need to know the answer to that foundational question. I would like to share a few thoughts on these three subjects this morning, higher education, giving the Lord equal time, and the doctrine of identity. So in the spirit of higher education, I'll begin by extending a simple invitation to each of you. Will you please find a piece of paper or open an app on your phone and record what the Holy Spirit teaches you in the next 30 minutes? As you listen to me this morning, will you please give the Lord equal time? If you will actively participate in this devotional, focusing your full attention on the words you are about to hear, and if you will open your heart to the Spirit, I promise He will speak to you today. What you learn or remember most from this address will be what the Holy Ghost teaches you. We will focus our attention on what Jesus referred to as the weightier matters as I share four invitations and three brief stories from the scriptures. In these accounts, we'll find the Savior teaching a few of His disciples individually in very personal, intimate encounters. And with one exception, I will quote Jesus directly. As I do, His words will appear on the big screens, and I invite you to take His words literally. When you see the Savior's words appear, please write them down. And as you do, listen for His voice in your heart and in your mind. Record those words, too. Capture them exactly as they come to you, and as we go along I will pose a few questions for us to carefully consider, starting with this one. Why only quote the words of the Savior? The answer is simple. Jesus Christ is the source of our higher education. We are blessed to live in a time when the words of ancient and living prophets are literally at our fingertips. There is no shortage of inspired, powerful, and relevant messages from prophets and apostles. We have been taught to make the consistent, careful study of their words a central part of our individual higher education, and we will be blessed as we and protected as we listen to and follow inspired prophetic counsel. With that said, Jesus Christ is the Master Teacher. There is something powerful about going straight to the Source. At least two qualities set Jesus apart from all other teachers. First, Jesus always teaches the truth. His teaching methodology does not include signal-boosting popular, even critical, theories or advocating secular, social, or political ideologies. He always teaches the truth—clearly, simply, powerfully. As teachers, our subject matter matters. And our teaching is much more powerful when what we teach is actually true. Second, Jesus teaches with authenticity and authority. His teaching credentials and credibility originate from who He is—the Son of God—and how He lived His life, not from the school He attended, the books He published, or the letters that precede or follow His name. His life aligned perfectly with His message. Likewise, we are better teachers when our personal lives align with the truths that we teach. So, I think we can agree that Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. Who is the second best? My vote goes to the Holy Ghost. Listen to what the Master Teacher said about the teaching role and capacity of the Holy Ghost. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. The Holy Ghost both teaches and reminds. As you write it down, think about that statement for a moment. We have direct access to a member of the Godhead who, if we seek Him and allow Him, will be our personal instructor and our constant companion, helping us to learn all that we need to know in this life. And then, when life's difficult tests arrive and adversity strikes—and it surely will When questions arise, doubts creep in, and we stray from the truth, the Holy Ghost will remind us of the truth that we once knew. In a very literal way, we have direct daily access to the two greatest teachers of all time—Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. They will provide the higher education we seek. This is why I have chosen to only quote the Savior today, And why I have invited you to listen for and record what the Holy Ghost whispers to you in the process. This is why we must give the Lord equal time. If you are one of the many on this campus who right now is struggling with feelings of loneliness, anxiety, or depression, wondering if you belong or where you fit in, if you are one who is wrestling with your faith, testimony, or identity, or have doubts or concerns with a Church policy, a practice, or a leader, perhaps even questioning your membership in the Church, I promise He will speak to you. I can make this bold promise with confidence, because the promise is not mine. It comes to each of us from the Savior Himself. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. If you are looking for answers and peace in your life, if you need to experience a higher education for a few minutes and want to know what inspiring learning feels like, please give the Lord equal time, trust His voice, and find a way to record what He says to you, because what He whispers to you may be the very thing you need to hear. So what does the term higher education really mean? Higher than what? Our formal education begins in elementary school, continues through middle school, and then high school. Is our higher education, is our b- education at BYU higher than that? Each of you has chosen to come to BYU, which is a highly respected accredited university. Being accredited means that BYU meets the very highest federal standards of educational quality in the United States. You could have chosen to attend any number of other prestigious universities—Notre Dame, Baylor, Harvard. At BYU, are we striving to be higher than those schools? With no intent to diminish the quality of these fine schools, if getting a higher education only means gaining secular knowledge from the most prestigious universities in the world, then we are aiming too low. We should elevate our vision. The opportunity and promise of a higher education at BYU not only includes the highest quality instruction and meaningful research, it also includes the direct influence of heaven. The BYU experience aims to develop faith, intellect, and Christlike character in a quest that will ultimately, in the far distant future, lead to perfection. That sounds like a higher education to me one that simply cannot be achieved without heavenly help. A higher education, quite literally, requires learning from a higher source. At BYU, we have the blessing to study, learn, and teach every topic bathed in the light and color of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. We have access to inspiring experiential learning not only from gifted teachers, mentors, and administrators, but also directly from heaven. When the Savior said, Seek learning by study and also by faith, his use of the word seek applies to both study and faith. Seeking requires action. Learning by study engages our minds. Learning by faith involves our hearts and our spirits. Both kinds of learning complement each other and both take time. So as we pursue this higher form of learning, can we be patient with ourselves and with the Lord, trusting in Him and in His timing for us? Can we give ourselves a little grace and not demand to know everything or to achieve perfection right now? There are some who feel like they don't have a testimony or are experiencing a faith crisis. We all have times. When we may lose our spiritual footing. If you are in one of those trying, difficult times right now, hang on to these words from Jesus. The Spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the Spirit enlighteneth every man that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit. If you can't believe everything right now, at least believe that much. When life gets hard—and it does— The answer is not to turn away from God or to abandon our faith in Christ. It is much better to hold on to the truth we know while we work on the things we don't know. With the blessing of time, continued faithful choices, and the influence of heaven, even the most difficult, frightening, and unsettling faith crisis can be transformed into one more step on our faith journey through mortality. I am not convinced that with His eternal perspective God sees our crises in the same way we do. He knows how real and difficult they are, but He can also see us emerging from the other side. If we give the Lord equal time in our lives, together with Him we will figure things out. Now, the four invitations. During His mortal ministry, the Savior gave us a blueprint for higher education. These easy-to-remember gospel methodologies provide a divine pattern for teaching, learning, and becoming. They create a beautiful, repeatable process that, when consistently followed, produce the most important learning outcome of all—becoming like Jesus Christ. We can apply them to any question we may have or any challenge we may face. His first invitation is combined with a promise— and is extended to every child of God, particularly those of us who are wrestling with heart-wrenching, soul-stretching challenges that seem to push us to our very limits. Here it is. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation to come unto Christ is the first step for each of us. No matter where we are or what we may have done, no matter what question we may have or pain we may be feeling, If we want the help of heaven, our first step forward is to come unto Christ. Even if we can't seem to feel his presence in our lives, the truth is he is not very far away. We may not have the answers or the solutions, but we can reach toward Christ. When we do, he will bless us with the peace we so desperately need. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. With a more peaceful heart, we will be prepared to accept his second invitation. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are never alone. If we include the Savior in our lives, with the help of the Holy Ghost, he will teach us all things. He promised— I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. For unto him that receiveth I will give more. And from them that shall shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. I share my witness that Jesus will lead us along, answering our prayerful questions in his own time and in his own way. He will keep the promise he made to a very troubled and distraught young prophet. After acknowledging and rehearsing a long list of terrible trials and agonizing anguish to the prophet of the Restoration, Joseph Smith, Jesus said, All these things shall give thee experience and be for thy good. Therefore, hold on thy way, for God shall be with you forever and ever. This is the truth. I hope you are writing it down. True learning is much more than merely grasping an idea or concept. Our learning deepens as we apply the into in our lives. In a word, our learning needs to become experiential. Have we ever heard that phrase on this campus? President Worthen has spoken at length about experiential learning. This brings us to the third invitation. To the young, rich, faithful man who had tried to keep the commandments from my youth up and desired to know what shall I do to inherit eternal life, the Master Teacher said, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and, Come, follow me. There is so much to learn in this simple yet stretching invitation. To all the disciples who strive to follow the Savior, he invites us to do what may be the most difficult thing of all. He asks us to surrender our will and to voluntarily choose him. Jesus said, I, the Lord, require the hearts of the children of men. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The Savior requires from students and teachers the one thing that administrators cannot effectively measure. He requires our hearts. He will lead us along as, we, as quickly as we are willing and able to follow. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we need help finding our way through life as we seek for the truth, Jesus is the answer. As we continue with our higher education, we are asked to accept his fourth invitation. After thirty-three years on the earth, just before he would ascend into heaven to go to his Father, our Lord and Savior extended the final invitation to his now seasoned and trained disciples. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world." Part of our learning process is teaching others, by word and deed, the things we have learned. Please listen carefully to what Jesus said to all who have the opportunity to teach. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Did you notice that even though we are teachers, our faith can fail? What we teach and how we teach it has a divine purpose beyond the mere sharing of secular knowledge. When we teach, we are instructed to strengthen our brethren. Our hearts, motives, and methods need to be pure. As we consider that obligation to strengthen our brethren, is it possible that there are some on our campus who, however well-intentioned, may actually be weakening the faith of others? Could it be that we have set our hearts so firmly on worldly treasures, like secular, social, or political ideologies, on either extreme, that we draw near to Christ with our lips but do not fully give Him our hearts? Is there something in our hearts that prevents us from fully embracing the recent invitation to hold and be worthy to hold a temple recommend? Do we cash our paychecks but then replace the university mission with our own agenda or cause? These are hard, personal questions that can only be answered individually with a mirror and with humility. When we give the Lord our hearts and seek not to declare my word, but first seek to obtain my word, he gives this powerful promise. Then shall your tongue be loosed. Then, if you desire, you shall have my spirit and my word. Yea, the power of God unto the convincing of men." This university is filled with faithful, knowledgeable, highly skilled teachers, mentors, and administrators who have acquired a lifetime of experience and wisdom in all the scholarly graces. We are so grateful for you. We thank you for your sincere and consistent efforts to align your lives— and your work with the gospel of Jesus Christ while enthusiastically embracing the unique prophetic mission and aims of this university. You do so well at bathing your subject matter in the light and color of the restored gospel. Please know of our heartfelt gratitude for each and every one of you. These four invitations—come unto me, learn of me, come follow me, and go and teach—are Each one provides a simple, practical, repeatable gospel methodology we can use in our teaching and learning and, when combined, offer a pattern for changing our very nature, our character, as we become more like our Heavenly Parents, which is the ultimate learning outcome. Now let us briefly look at how these principles apply to the way Jesus taught three of his disciples, paying particular attention to the hearts of his students. When they were faced with adversity. First is the tender account of the troubled father whose son had been afflicted with a dumb spirit since he was a child. This tormenting spirit caused the boy to have seizures and attempted to destroy him. For years the father had tried everything to help his son, including taking him to the twelve disciples to be healed, but they could not heal him. Finally, in what must have felt like his very last resort, The Father approached the Savior, who said, Bring him unto me. Remember that first invitation. The desperate Father then pled with the Savior, If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Have you ever felt a similar feeling of pure desperation in your life? Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, "Lord, I believe; help thou mine unbelief." Seeing the faith of this good father, Jesus rebuked the foul spirit, took him by the hand, and lifted him up. I love the faith and humility of this father. Contrast that account with the the account of Thomas, the doubting disciple. Shortly after his resurrection, the Lord appeared to ten of his disciples without Judas or Thomas. They told Thomas about their miraculous experience. We have seen the Lord. Thomas's heart and response were different than that of the troubled father. He said, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas placed conditions on his faith. He demanded physical evidence. Are we like Thomas? Eight days later, the Lord kept his previous promise. Then came Jesus and stood in their midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing." In a moment he least expected, Thomas was reminded of a truth he had previously been taught. He had temporarily placed the secular in front of the spiritual, but he learned quickly and repented. My Lord and my God. I love Thomas's response. Finally, we see how Jesus tried to teach his friend, Judas Iscariot. During the Last Supper, Jesus tried to warn him, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. The shocked disciples were troubled, wondering who it could be. After identifying Judas as the betrayer, then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. He knew what Jesus was about to do, and he wanted to minimize the pain that would surely follow. But Judas did not listen. Instead, quote, Satan entered into him. He went to the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him thirty pieces of silver, and from that time forward he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas prioritized money over faith. A short time later, the wicked betrayal occurred. Judas came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. In, what, in that moment of betrayal, Jesus knew Judas's heart and asked a relevant, soul-piercing question, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Even as Judas sinned, Jesus loved him and called him friend. Can we also apply the Savior's piercing question to our own experiences at BYU and ask ourselves, For what purpose have we come to this university? This is a great question. If I'm being honest, I can see elements of all three of these disciples in my own life. As I face my own questions, weaknesses, and adversity, sometimes I offer my heart and can authentically and truthfully say, like the troubled father, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But like Thomas, sometimes I place conditions on my faith and resist what the Lord is trying to teach me. Except I shall see, I will not believe. And unfortunately, there are times I harden my heart, fall prey to the influence of Satan, and must sadly admit, like Judas, I have sinned and betrayed the innocent blood. I am so very grateful for the grace of God, for the joyous gift of repentance and the opportunity to be better. In conclusion, there is one final lesson to share, the doctrine of identity. Eight words from our Heavenly Father provide perfect clarity on this matter. I'll now make my one exception of only quoting the Savior. Instead, I'll quote Heavenly Father. Please pay attention here. When Joseph Smith, as a young boy, approached heaven in prayer, seeking wisdom and learning on a question that had troubled him deeply, he was given a higher education that was far more than he could have possibly imagined. The God of heaven the father of all, decided to make a rare personal visit, and he invited his son Jesus Christ, the creator and savior of the world, to join him. The first word Heavenly Father spoke was Joseph's name. Imagine how Joseph must have felt in that moment and then later as he reflected on the experience. With that single word, his name, Joseph learned that God is real and knows who Joseph is. He learned that his father listens to and answers his prayers, and that he cares about him and the details of his life. Each one of the next seven words also has notable significance, serving as both an introduction and an invitation to learn. This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Among other things, we learn the truth about the doctrine of identity. Two things become perfectly clear. God is Jesus' Father, and the Father loves His Son. Likewise, we are children of God, and He loves us. And let's also not overlook the fact that rather than answering Joseph's question directly, which he certainly could have done, Heavenly Father instead brings Joseph to the Savior to learn. Even God Himself invites us to come to Jesus to learn of Him. As children of God, we are literally one spiritual generation away from heavenly parents, and we possess their DNA, their spiritual DNA. This is our first, most fundamental, and eternal identity. It is the identity God has given to us, not one of our own making. And it is who we really are and who we will always be. Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. If we are looking for inclusion and belonging, there it is. It is also instructive to note the secondary words Jesus uses to identify us. Rather than referring to race, gender, or religion, Jesus says, "'Ye are my disciples, ye are my friends, ye are my stewards, O ye my servants." Ponder these identifying descriptors in context of teaching and learning at BYU. While it is true that we can accurately be identified by other distinctive characteristics such as gender, race, religion, or any number of other categories, Jesus did not spend much time on these parts of our identity. I wonder why. Is it because these terms inherently tend to divide us rather than unite us, especially when we set our hearts upon them? Wouldn't the world be a more peaceful place if we could simply view and treat each other as children of God, disciples, and friends? I hear my parents' words again. Tracy, remember who you are. I hope you've taken a note or two this morning, and I most importantly hope that you've felt heaven's influence in your heart. I'm grateful to be here at BYU, and I love the people I work with. I love to listen to people pray. Especially my friends and family. Each morning, each Monday morning, we meet as a President's Council, and these meetings always begin with prayer. I love to listen to these prayers because they are part of my higher education. It has been my great privilege to kneel and listen to each member of the President's Council pray for you many times. I cannot remember a single prayer that did not include you. In those prayers, we express our love for you, and we pray for your safety, both physical and spiritual. We pray for your success inside and outside the classroom. We pray that during your time at BYU, you will learn the things you need to know and become the people you need to be so that you will be able to serve and bless others when you leave this beautiful campus, reflecting the light of the Savior in a world that so desperately needs it. In our prayers, we express our sincere gratitude to all of those who make it possible for us to be here together—faithful tithe payers, uh, generous donors, and loving parents who have sent you uh, with a great sacred trust to be in our care as you pursue your education. We give thanks for our opportunity to serve you, and we ask for heaven's help in doing so, that we will remember who we are, And give the Lord equal time as we, together with Him, pursue our own higher education, is my humble prayer in the name of the Master Teacher and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Recent Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including classic speeches taken from our vast audio library, as well as other BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on Podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.